The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Oh, we've loads to get through in the week. Trending with uh, Kieran Cunningham, who is the chief sports writer with the Irish Daily Star, and Laura Byrne, assistant news editor with the Journal.ie. Paul Meskell, very much a man of the moment. But his anger at being groped by a fan is a very interesting one because if that had happened to a woman, Laura, I suspect the man responsible would have been arrested. Yeah, this is the thing. Um, you think about guys who do as well as, say, Paul Mescal. I mean, you want to be living under a rock to see that he hasn't been doing really well. He's up for an Oscar for After Sun. He's uh, rumoured to be the new uh, lead in Gladiator. He's in town this week for his new premiere and he's on The Late Late tonight. So oh, everything Well, everything was way. going well until he got to The Late Late Show. <laughs> yes, yeah, so maybe there's something to be said about that. But yeah, you make a good point there. So he said in an interview, he said that he was uh, he was on um, in the Almeida Theatre in North London where he was starring in production of a streetcar named Desire and he was asked for a photo. Now the 27 year old he said it was a fan, this is what you do this is your outside the theatre in, in uh, the West End and this is an interview with ES Magazine he said as we posed for it she put her hand on my excuse me ass, I thought it was an accident so I like moved away but her hand followed me and he said I remember tensing up and feeling just like a fury so he turned to her and he said what are you doing take your hand off my ass and he said the last thing he wanted to do was call someone out in front in a crowd you can imagine now but you know a bit of energy in the area uh, but he said it's uncomfortable but it was not okay and he said it was gross and creepy and I suppose you don't really hear of male you know celebrity actors big personas saying all this but if it were a woman it would be uh, probably treated a little differently it's good that he said it I think oh, I can think here of some commentators saying why didn't he just enjoy it why did he get course, so woke yeah. you know the sort of nonsense that goes around at present yeah but uh, you know as Laura says there um, there's a very good chance you would have a sexual assault case brought if it, if it was a Absolutely. like if a male fan had groped a female a female actress in public like that so uh, strange, he's on the Late Late Show tonight with Emma Watson and they're publicising God's Creatures which I think is opening film the Dublin Film Festival but it actually was filmed um, it's set in Kerry but it was filmed where I'm from in Donegal in Glencolum Kill and yet they had uh, said it's in Kerry yeah, yeah. what an insult to yeah, the people of Donegal but, but uh, I think the, the writers from Kerry are right and so the, the accents are all Kerry but uh, it was actually. Sorry, did they think that Donegal was more beautiful than Kerry? Well, who knows? Uh, well, it's it's more unspoiled. I don't want to get into trouble, but there's more. We don't get don't get as many tours, well, which can be both. To be talking about Denny, Donegal tonight, I was wondering. I just saw the headline. He's yeah, it can be both a good and bad thing not to have that many tours. So it's, it's a bit more. Uh, it's a bit wilder, and that's something he's talked about, and Emma Watts has talked about. But I remember when he was up there, and it was actually during lockdown, and he, he literally where he was staying was a house next door to my parents' house. Okay, so he would be out. To, uh, he used to go for a run early every morning and sometimes in I the evening. I hope you gave him a pair of Johnny Gall football shorts for his <laughs> he runs. He was, he was actually photographed uh, wearing a jersey before he got obviously. <laughs> was a group of teenage didn't, girls didn't miss out on that opportunity. But, but uh, it was amazing the impact he had on the female population of the area. They were all coming up with reasons to go out walking when he was going out jogging and bumping it. <laughs> so he's, I mean, he's done wonders for young Irish guys who like to go training three times a week. It's great, you know. <laughs> but I, I guess I, when you think about it, like I was thinking about this, if you were the likes of Marilyn Monroe or all the big stars in the olden days, nobody had access to you on a daily basis. But of course, everyone has social media now. TikTok, Instagram, whatever you like. And so there is this kind of feeling of accessibility and therefore maybe people are willing to break those boundaries. And I think, I think very quickly, Matt, I think we, we're only, it's only dawning on us how big a star he is. Like Absolutely. the fact that he's the streetcar demon, it's, like it's, it's the 
role associated with Brando in many ways he is the new Brando like if you see After Sun I'm astonished he didn't get nominated for Best Oscar or, or sorry that um, the film didn't get nominated yeah, for Best he's, Picture he's up for Best, he's up for actor, best actor, yeah. but then it didn't get nominated for Best Picture as well OK let's move on tell us about the possible successor to Nicola Sturgeon as the boss of the SNP and First Minister and her views which I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say might be very similar to Enoch Burke's. Well, I know, Matt, this is like the shortest non-leadership campaign I think you could, com- you could come up with. So obviously Nicola Sturgeon, the leader of Scotland, is saying that she's leaving. So that is, this is the Scottish Finance Secretary, uh, Kate Forbes. She's with the Scottish National Party. So she created controversy saying that she was looking at, at running to, to replace Nicola Sturgeon. But given that she is an evangelical Christian, she, I suppose, upon interview said that she didn't believe that children outside marriage was right. So ch- having children outside marriage for starters is wrong and she said had she had a vote uh, on the um, gay marriage vote she would have vetoed it so I mean very I would say I suppose extreme ish well extreme views let's call it what it is extreme extreme Christian views Yeah tell us about the church she comes from Kieran. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's one of these many breakaway groups, uh, and it's it's known as the We Freeze colloquially, and it's uh, the, the 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 Free Church of Scotland, and the evangelical and the Calvinist domina- denomination. And what we would what anybody would know of Calvinists is they're quite strict and rigid in their beliefs, but. The flip side of this is like you can look at her as an outlier and you can see why there's outrage. But her views are radically different to, say, the D- a lot of leading figures in the DUP over the years, which are in power in the north of Ireland. I read a great book um, a few weeks ago called American Psychosis by David Corn of The New York Times. And it looks at the influence of extreme and far right gr- uh, groups on the Republican Party over the last 150 years. And a lot of them are rooted in the religious right from the Tea Party, uh, you know, back to the various uh, evangelical speakers that were on board, back to Joe McCarthy, etc. And a lot of the right wing or the Republican support in America would have very similar views to, to Ms. Forbes. Yeah, well, maybe it's the case that they just haven't gone away and they're emboldened by what has happened in the States. You know, I'd be interested when you mentioned Enoch Burke there. Obviously, we've been grappling in our own public discourse with that viewpoint that is very much in the news. And I don't know, are these groups on the rise or are they just feeling a little bit more emboldened now because they're, you know, there's been success there? And what's all this about Roald Dahl books been rewritten or modified or edited and a backlash against this Kieran that apparently this is wokeness brought too far. Yeah, well, I knew last week I was doing this slot this evening and I heard then, uh, I think it was Monday, about the Roald Dahl thing. And, uh, and you actually, knew you'd be talking about <laughs> it. And I was going, oh no, because this is the latest in these tedious culture wars. And I knew that people would be fulminating. And the fulmin- that's the only time I ever hear the word fulminating, but a few of the usual suspects have. And some un- more unusual suspects like Salman Rushdie, uh, Philip Pullman, author of His Dark Materials, and Prince, or Prince, King Charles' wife, uh, Camilla, the Queen Consort. What she got to say about uh, this? She just uh, ha- has told authors to stand up to curbs and freedom of expression. But the, the, the interesting thing in, in this is this is an ongoing process uh, that Roald Dahl actually, people might know this, but when he originally wrote, like probably his most loved book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Originally, he when the first editions of his book, the Oompa Loompas were African pygmy slaves. Really? And there was a backlash back then and he changed it to have, so they had white skin and golden hair. 
And then there's been changes, uh, a lot of changes to, ch- to children's authors and other authors in the language used. Like uh, Agatha Christie, a lot of the language was changed. Uh, one of her most celebra- famous books was, was is Ten Little Indians Now. And there's film versions of that. And the, both the book and the film version were called something very different and something you can't say on air. But that was rightly changed. Enid Blyton's books were ble- bleached big time because there was a lot of racist language in it, a lot of racist language. But what I find interesting about this, like a lot of this, now if I'm looking at it, I think this is ridiculous, but it's coming from the Dal estate. And from what I've read about this and what I've heard since is they've predicted down the line what might affect sales. And that there's language there now that in a couple of years, that now people are saying, no, it's not that big a deal. But they figure in five, ten years time, it might be more acceptable. And also, I'm a little bit suspicious that it's a bit of a publicity stunt because it's a big tie in with Netflix. Everybody's been talking about Roald Dahl all week and that can only help. Uh, but I, th- I think so. it was it was actually the Telegraph I think that brought it to light now the Telegraph are very much in a and I hate using the words but anti-woke uh, you know vibe at the moment yeah, but but It's a marketing ploy isn't it by It is I mean it's, well how many headlines have you seen about this in the last four or five days you know and, and, and fairness Puffin did come out today and say that they will release the full works with no changes so lo and behold people will be trying to buy those in case they feel that's the end of them I feel that as you say Kieran, like yes Rodal himself may have made changes but he made the changes you know, yes, you have, yeah, like, and well, it changes. It's the stories, the overall arching story can still be told. And if there's maybe a realization that some things actually aren't as they should be, and everything gets edited. Yeah, mm. I think you know where where do we get to a point where lit- literature has to start? Like, why does marketing have to have to dictate what happens? Yeah, to but literature? also, if you put every, something down in text, it should be held as. As but such. every author, though, when they submit a book, it gets edited to yeah. put it into the way that it should be for production. It isn't exactly given word for word as the writer writes it. But and if changes have to be made because things are wrong or offensive, why not? Yeah, Absolutely. But, but that's, sorry, why the, well, that's why the author is alive and gives it the green light. And that's all very acceptable in the publishing world. But I mean, I don't know. So, like you have to, The thing about Roald Dahl is a lot of his, his texts are really... They're grotesque. That's the whole point. His mm. characters are grotesque. And if you're kind of watering those down, you're missing the point. There's great learning for kids in this. Kids, ha- I mean, kids can understand nuance. Yeah, well, let's but, move on. Let's move on to what I call today. What about the, this British minister who has, responding to the um, shortages of fruit and veg in Britain, has suggested that people eat turnips? Well, uh I came across, uh, I had a great discovery earlier because it was written around in the, in the fridge for something to make a sandwich with. In the bottom drawer of the fridge, I found a tomato. So I put it on eBay and I'm hoping, it. We, <laughs> hoping we get a weekend city break out of it because they're, they're, they've, become like, they've become the golden fleece. So, uh, Of course, uh, you do know a tomato is a fruit rather than a vegetable. Well, Brian O'Driscoll uh, explained <laughs> that to us many years ago. We, we all, we we're always grateful to uh, But he says, wisdom is knowing that it's a fruit. <laughs> Knowledge is knowing you don't put in fruit salad. So that was Brian. <laughs> Brian's great contribution to the culture. But uh, on this, I, I, we said off air, I can't remember when I've last eaten a turnip and I hope never to eat one again. Like it's a vital route. It's, uh, it, it shouldn't be anywhere near, uh, near a dinner table. And well, I actually, the only thing I remember about turnips as well is 
uh, growing up, it was hard to get a pumpkin at Halloween. We used to hollow out turnips. And I think that's probably a better use for them than eating them. But maybe we have to go down that road again. Who knows? They're, they're acceptable perhaps in a soup and maybe if you roast them along with carrots and other things. Oh, yeah. There's nothing, I, I was just saying before, before we came on air, I, I haven't had a turnip in years and I'm wondering if I could sit my children down and try and persuade them. The turnip and the cabbage were sort of boiled within an inch of their lives when we were growing up. It's all a question of how you do them. Yeah. Now, mm. just to give for but the sorry, listeners... Is there sake, not a more important point here, though, Laura, in that we've perhaps become too used to having vegetables and fruits out of season on a 12-year-old basis and that if we do want to do something about the environment and stop importing things and moving them around all year round, we should be actually sticking to seasonally local Mm. grown fruits and vegetables. Yeah, Matt, 100%. I mean, people will notice that there is a shortage of these types of fruit and veg because of changes in the weather patterns where they're grown. So there's a shortage of the likes of tomatoes and lettuce and that kind of thing. Now, we can have a laugh about what uh, this all comes from the UK Environment Secretary by the way, in the UK, uh, Therese Coffey saying you need to start going back to what you know and what we have here locally and she's being lambasted for it and it's all a bit of crack. But what exactly do we think is about to happen in the next 20, 30 years? Are we going to continue to fly all of these wonderful... Uh, let's say, or you know, non-Irish fruit and veg all over the world. Is this what, do we think this is our norm? This is not what's going to be our norm. So we have to kind of get real about food security. I mean, we see, we've seen what's happened in the last year, not to, you know, to make it too serious. Look at the anniversary that we're facing today. You know, we've looked at energy security, food security. Our lives are very, uh, we, you know, are impacted by global events and climate change is the biggest global event. Yeah, I think it will impact hugely in the future and uh, on, on exports as well. Like, like for example, in, in the fishing industry, uh, we sent a huge amount of uh, shellfish to South Korea. You know, Do we? Which, yeah, it's a huge amount. Like even where I'm from in Donegal, like one of their big markets now is, is South Korea. So like I think there will be a backlash against that kind of trade in the years to come and you will be in uh, the, the, Don't tell the farmers. On it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's a couple of stories I want to get to. Um, tell us about the bus driver who actually sheared the top off his double decker in a bridge collision, Laura. So yeah, this uh, this is coming out from the courts actually, Matt. So a bus driver who struck a rail bridge, uh, effectively shearing the top off it. This happened in Baldoyle on March 7th uh, of last year. Now, uh, the bus driver in question was bringing 17 passengers, 15 of them were children and two teachers. Now, uh, in fairness, the courts handled it, I would say, fairly enough. They, they imposed a €500 Euro fine, ordered him to keep the peace and not uh, to come to any negative attention. In his defence, though, when I was reading this, I was thinking, well, you know, obviously he's, he's a very uh, experienced bus driver. He knows what he's doing. He's used to driving single buses. But he, there was a change in the route on the day in question. So... I mean, we, I think we've all seen a few of these things happen where a bus or a lorry uh, comes a cropper hitting a, a low rail bridge. I know there was one, I think it was up in Dublin one a couple of years ago. And so, I mean, it, it is a thing. It is something that happens. So maybe we need to do a little bit more in terms of road safety or maybe, you know, maybe... People can make a misjudgment or you can forget of, that if you're used to driving a single decker yeah. bus that you're actually driving a double decker bus. Exactly, sure. And look, we're all driving and, you, you know, there is a, a, a certain autopilot that comes into play. And this man, obviously, it was a used to one route and uh, you know maybe the people who who diverted him should have uh, said by the way you're driving a bus there's a low bridge ahead but But following on from that Kieran I see a Spanish minister was it or a head of a rail company had to resign because they ordered trains too big for their tunnels how the hell could that happen how the hell could that happen and actually the first thing that struck me on this was it, it gave me a horrible flashback do you know those house parties that you go to back in the day and somebody unfortunately pulled out a guitar and uh, they might uh, they give the boxer by Simon and Garfunkel a go, but your 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 jaw would or your, you know your face would hit the floor when these 
they started on Spanish Train by Krista Byrne. So that's the first <laughs> I time was I wondering where you were going yeah, with yeah, this. Yeah. That's the first time. And it goes on and on. Yeah, that's the first time I thought of Spanish Train since then. But um, you know, I don't know. Now, how do you explain this story? It's but I thought. All, of, I, I'm sorry. I thought you would have had all the rail gauges are standard size, aren't they? Yeah. So if you put any train on it, then it would be built to match the, the railway tracks. So, well, and then presumably the railway track goes through the tunnel. So it's not like you'd have a bigger train, is it? Well, it's when one side of the brain isn't talking to the other. I think this yeah. is what happened here. So the head of Spain's state rail operator has resigned. Uh, some political, uh, I think the actually the minister for state for transport has resigned over this because there's an outcry over. They ordered commuter trains too wide to fit through some tunnels. So you would think that if you were sitting down with a big, you know, uh, globe or uh, your government budget and you say, now lads, we're going to order about ten new trains, and here's our route you would think there'd be someone at the table who might know what the route looks like and what size the, the tracks yeah. are but lo and behold this isn't what happened it, it, it does say that the, the tunnels are various sizes in the north of Spain and that um, they don't adhere to modern dimensions because they're built in the 19th century maybe that caused some confusion but, but surely listener here also saying didn't the houses the Oroctus order a printer that didn't fit in the basement either <laughs> in that do you remember that <laughs> I remember that but, yeah, voting uh, machines do you know what I noticed about well, this that, that, that was curious that they resigned they they had to resign mm. over this, and this isn't something we tend to see here as much when it comes to kind of giant mistakes. Let's say big big budget mistakes. The turnips are getting an enormous response. Uh, listener says mashed turnip with butter, salt, and ground black pepper is absolutely delicious. Uh, another one says it's around time of year to grow your own tomatoes, lettuce, and vegetables. And as one listener says, did Damon Ryan tell everyone to grow veg in a windowsill flower box? Yes, maybe we need to do that if you can't get your own tomatoes. Thank you very much for joining us, Kieran Cunningham and Laura Byrne. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4 30.